Welcome to Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. I'm Laura Nyrider. And I'm Steve Drizzen. Today, we're going to tell you about an Idaho man named Chris Tapp. Chris was just 20 years old when he endured a mind-bending 25-hour interrogation that transformed him from an innocent into a confessed murderer. Fortunately for Chris, he found an indomitable champion in the victim's mother. She convinced police to use a revolutionary new method of DNA identification to exonerate Chris Tapp and find her own daughter's killer. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There are certain special people you meet in your life. People that, I like to say, are more evolved than the rest of us. People that really inspire you. And Carol Dodge is one of those people. It's one of the few times in my career as a lawyer where someone from the victim's family has asked me to investigate an injustice. And for a crime victim who was so invested in Chris's guilt, that she wanted him to get the death penalty to evolve to a place where she was thinking he might be innocent, that just blew me away. How was it that a layperson could look at these interrogation tapes and see all of the problems, all of the coercion, all of the leading questions, all of the fact-feeding, when law enforcement officers on the Idaho Falls Police Department couldn't see it themselves. I mean, it shows that wrongful convictions affect more than just the defendants. It's also the victims' families, the survivors of these horrible attacks who are being fed a line about an innocent person being guilty. It wasn't easy. 
She had help from a lot of other people, but it was her persistence and her desire for knowledge that ultimately changed the course of this case. Chris Tapp's story starts in Idaho Falls, a town of about 100,000 people in southeastern Idaho, about two hours north of Yellowstone National Park. Idaho Falls is a beautiful place. There's mountains on the horizon, and the Snake River cuts straight through town. Gorgeous though it may be, the town was racked by terrible ugliness nearly 24 years ago. In June 1996, Idaho Falls resident Angie Dodge was 18 years old. She'd graduated from high school the year before, ahead of schedule with honors. And life was just beginning for her. She was working two jobs, taking a few classes at Idaho State, becoming independent. In fact, Angie had just recently moved into her first apartment, the upper floor of a little frame house on I Street, where she lived by herself. But on the morning of Thursday, June 13th, Angie didn't show up for her day job at a local beauty supply store. A friend stopped by her apartment to make sure she was okay, but by 11 o'clock, that friend was frantically dialing 911. She'd found Angie Dodge lying face up on her bedroom floor, half naked and clearly dead. Angie's head was against the bedroom wall with her legs outstretched. Next to her, there was a basket of stuffed animals including a teddy bear specked in blood. She'd been stabbed 14 times, and her throat had been cut. She was nearly decapitated. Most of the apartment was undisturbed, so all of the activity between the assailant and Angie took place in her bedroom. The crime scene did not suggest a prolonged struggle. Angie was six feet tall, and she had a reputation of not taking guff from anybody. I mean, she would have been the kind of victim to have fought back. And she did have a few defensive wounds on her arms and her wrists. But police theorized that she had been attacked in her sleep and quickly overwhelmed. But who would want to hurt Angie Dodge? The police assured Angie's family, including her mom, Carol, that the killer had left damning evidence behind. Semen left on Angie's body yielded a full DNA profile. But police ran the profile through the state and national DNA databases and got no hits. They compared it against Angie's male friends and family members. Still no hits. And as summer turned to fall and the temperatures dropped, the case went cold, too. The case stayed cold until January 1997, when an acquaintance of Angie's named Ben Hobbs was arrested in Nevada for a knife-point sexual assault. Police started questioning Ben about whether he was involved in the attack on Angie, which seemed to be similar. But Ben insisted he had nothing to do with Angie Dodge and eventually lawyered up. So instead, police turned to his friend, Chris Tapp, to see if they could get some dirt on Ben. At the time, Chris was 20 years old, maybe a year or two older than Angie. In fact, he and Angie and Ben were part of a young group of people who hung out on the trails along the Snake River and partied from time to time. This group of friends called themselves the River Rats Crew. And police figured that if one of the River Rats had attacked Angie, then the others would know about it. Not only was Chris Tapp a river rat, but one of the police officers had known Chris for years. He figured it'd be easy to use their trusting relationship to make Chris give up whatever he knew about Ben. 
Idaho Falls police decided to question Chris. And here come the interrogations. Not one, not two, but eventually nine of them spread out over nearly four weeks for a total of 25 hours of questioning. The statements that police get are chaotic, confused, jumbled. And the tactics police used, well, they're a recipe for wrongful conviction. It all began for Chris on Tuesday, January 7th. The officer starts by asking Chris about Ben's possible role in Angie's death. Chris denies knowing anything about it over and over again. I mean, I'm going to be straight up and truthful with you. If I did anything know about this, I would say, but I do not know. That's all true. I'm not lying. But the police have an unsolved murder on their hands, and Chris's possible knowledge about Ben Hobbs was the only lead they had. They try to create leverage with Chris by implying that he's withholding crucial information and that there could be consequences if the investigators don't get what they need. The deeper they get into the interview, the more police up the pressure. They tell Chris that he has to tell them something about Ben. Now, this officer was not a stranger to Chris. He was a school resource officer who Chris had known throughout his life. And one of the tactics this officer used was the false friend technique, suggesting that he was there to help Chris, to see him through this problem. I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm kind of close to you. I've got to know you. You're not one of these crumbs that people have to do that. And the police suggest that if Chris tells them something about Ben, then they'd pull some strings. That even though he's getting dragged into the investigation, they'd protect him. He wouldn't have anything to worry about. It's a theme they'd go on to repeat again and again. Chris continues to insist that he doesn't have anything to tell them, and eventually the cops let him go home. But a few days later, on Friday, January 10th, the police are back. They still suspect that Chris is withholding information to protect his friend. They need more leverage. So they give him a polygraph test, and they tell him that he flunked it. It was extremely painful to watch because you see someone's will being broken over and over and over again by these two interrogators primarily, the friend, the school resource officer, and the polygrapher. They also tell Chris that by covering for his friend, Chris is making himself an accessory to murder. And the police start warning him that the law treats cover-ups the same as the crime. In other words, Chris Tapp is now facing the gas chamber. You're already looking at the possibility of getting charged with murder one, which max penalty is death. Middle penalty is life in prison with no parole. You've got to save your life. Period. You've got to save your life. The threat of death penalty is in the air. Chris is terrified. And so he starts to make things up in order to please his interrogators and save himself from a death sentence. He tells a story in which he'd heard Ben Hobbs admit to killing Angie. And the cops eat it up. By now, they can't wait to take Ben down for rape and murder, with Chris as the star member of their team. The school resource officer tells Chris at one point that that he really wants Chris to help in nailing Ben Hobbs so that he could kick Ben Hobbs through the goalposts of life. Hmm. Toxic masculinity, anybody? (laughs) Huh. I'm serious with a heart attack. 
Detectives keep pushing for more details, and they help Chris out by giving him hints about what they think happened. They tell Chris, for example, that Angie had been stabbed with a knife. Pretty soon, Chris agrees and says he heard Ben describe using a knife. But even as Chris regurgitates these details, he's freaking out, crying hard, terrified that whatever he says won't satisfy his interrogators, that instead of helping police dropkick Ben, he'll end up being the football. But the cops still don't seem convinced, and they start asking whether the DNA left on Angie's body might belong to Chris. He rallies. Take my DNA. It ain't going to be me, he says. I was never inside Angie's apartment. The police let Chris go home again, but they still think he's not telling them everything he knows about Ben Hobbs. So the next day, January 11th, they arrest Chris and charge him as an accessory who helped cover up Angie Dodge's murder. And that threat or suggestion of the gas chamber, that's becoming realer and realer to Chris. Pretty soon, the promise of help gets more real, too. Chris gets a lawyer, and that lawyer negotiates an immunity agreement. Under the deal, Chris would escape charges if he provides information about who raped and killed Angie Dodge. But it's got to be information that the police will believe. And the police tell him that in order to go free, they expect him to say he was present during the attack. In their words, get us up close. If he does that, they suggest he can go home. They'll leave him alone. And we can't help you. Now, Chris has no choice but to tell lies, placing him inside Angie's bedroom. And as police keep pushing, Chris has to take the story further and further. By the very end, he agrees that he slashed Angie with a knife and held her down while Ben raped her. Ben Hobbs forced you to cut Angie Dodge across the right breast with the knife. Yes. Even though Chris now has agreed to say he was directly involved, he can't get the story right. He doesn't know basic facts like the layout of Angie's apartment or what room the attack occurred in. In fact, at one point, the police take Chris to I Street so he can point out Angie's home and walk them through the crime scene. But he can't even tell them which house she lived in. He guesses that she lived on the corner when she really lived in the middle of the block. This should have been a huge red flag to these officers. He had previously told them that they won't find his DNA there because he'd never been to Angie's apartment. But they are stuck in the Chris Tap box, and they can't get out of it. They refuse to get out of it, even when a big problem emerges about a week later. And it's a problem we've seen in case after case. By January 18th, the police have done DNA testing, and the results are back. Their DNA from the crime scene does not belong to either Ben Hobbs or Chris Tapp. Neither of them could have been Angie's rapist. And the police accept that Ben Hobbs had nothing to do with this crime. But Chris, on the other hand, he had confessed to being there. And why would anyone confess unless they were guilty? The police decide they'll never know whose DNA was left at the crime scene, but they stick to their belief. Chris was involved. They conclude that he's been protecting the identity of the real rapist this whole time. They're furious, and the immunity deal is yanked off the table. Chris Tapp is charged with first-degree murder and sexual assault. 
and the county prosecutor announces that he'll seek the death penalty. At Chris's trial, prosecutors show the jury one brief clip from the interrogation, cherry-picked from 25 hours of videotape. This excerpt makes his confession seem spontaneous and voluntary. And on May 28, 1998, Chris Tapp is convicted of the rape and murder of Angie Dodge. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is where the hero of our story first comes in. Angie's mother, Carol Dodge, a heartbroken but ferocious woman. Carol was tortured by the thought that one of Angie's attackers was still free, the one who had raped her. And Carol believed Chris knew who the rapist was. So when the time came for sentencing, Carol Dodge begged the judge to give Chris the death penalty. When the judge gave him life in prison instead, Carol broke down sobbing. To her, Justice hadn't been served. Carol Dodge was right. Justice hadn't been served, but the failures here were more profound and troubling than even she imagined at first. For years, an unanswered question remained at the heart of Angie Dodge's case. Whose DNA had been left on her body? The investigation had stalled and Carol's frustration was going through the roof. Until one day, about 12 or 13 years after Angie's death, Carol decided to take the matter into her own hands. 
And the first thing she wanted to look at were the videotapes of Chris Tapp's interrogation. It's the first time she's seen these tapes from start to finish. And as she watches them, she's growing angrier and angrier. Because those tapes are making her think that Chris Tapp might be innocent. Carol starts doing research online about false confessions. And whose name comes up but Steve Drizzen? She picks up the phone and calls him. Now, I'll never forget this. I was sitting at my desk one afternoon. It was February 22nd, 2013. And the phone rang. And on the other end was Carol Dodge. Now, I knew who Carol Dodge was. I had read about the tap case. I had seen Carol on an episode of Dateline. But I had never received a call from a crime victim before asking for my assistance. She said, would you mind reviewing and analyzing these interrogation videos? Who could say no to Carol Dodge? Carol sent the videotapes, and Steve watched them all. He wrote an expert report deeming Chris Tapp's confessions unreliable. But even as Steve and Carol worked together, others were starting to raise questions, too. An advocacy group called Judges for Justice started pushing to reopen the investigation. Two former FBI agents reviewed the case and concluded that the Idaho Falls police investigation was deeply flawed. And an internationally recognized expert concluded that Chris Tapp's polygraph had been a sham. The results, he said, weren't worth the paper they were written on. Things were starting to congeal around the idea that Chris was wrongfully convicted. Chris Tapp's own attorneys and representatives of the Idaho Innocence Project were beginning to push the innocence narrative in court. What the team really needed was more forensic testing to show that Chris Tapp's DNA was nowhere in Angie Dodge's bedroom. Under previous Idaho law, defendants like Chris could only seek DNA testing during the year immediately following conviction. But that restriction was lifted in 2010, and Chris's team jumped at the opportunity. They had additional testing done on some other things from Angie's bedroom, that teddy bear with the blood on it, and some articles of her clothing. What was found? The same DNA profile as the person who had left his semen. We now had multiple DNA hits to the same guy. While we didn't know who that guy was, we did know he wasn't Chris Tapp. Based on all these new discoveries, Carol Dodge becomes convinced that Chris Tapp is innocent. And she starts bringing pressure to bear on the local police department to release Chris and find her daughter's actual killer. In May 2016, Chris Tapp's lawyer filed a post-conviction petition alleging that new evidence had cast doubt on the reliability of Tapp's confession. And pretty soon, an enormous collection of forces was pushing the state of Idaho to do the right thing. Judges for Justice was releasing expert reports and calling for Chris's release. The Idaho Innocence Project was talking about the new DNA results. And the Idaho Falls Post-Register, the local newspaper, was hammering the prosecutor to release Chris. One local journalist became particularly invested in the case. His name is Brian Clark. I'm uh, the opinion editor of the Post-Register in Idaho Falls, and I'm a former reporter there. I first heard about the case shortly before Judges for Justice started releasing their reports about it. My editor approached me and said, I've got a gift for you. It's not going to feel like a gift, but I promise it is. 
and he introduced me to the Dodge case and the Tap conviction. Even the Innocence Project in New York had joined the fight. But no one was pushing harder than Carol Dodge. It takes an army sometimes, and she was the generalissimo. An example of her tenacity you can actually see in the architecture of the police station. There are a pair of doors that are in between the sort of main lobby area and the area where the detectives and and other police are. The reason they were put in is that Carol Dodge would show up at the police station, walk right past the front desk and into the chief's office and start demanding that he, you know, what are you doing to find my daughter's killer? And so they finally had to put in doors to keep her from doing that. They're referred to as the Carol doors. Eventually, prosecutors decide that they're not yet ready to exonerate Chris, but they would agree, based on this new DNA evidence, that Chris should be granted immediate release. So in 2017, Chris Tapp walked out of prison, not yet exonerated, but a free man after spending 20 years behind bars. You see all the evidence stack up, and it becomes clear the guy spent 20 years behind bars for something he didn't do. And that did keep me up at nights. Frankly, after working on it for years, I did not think it was going to be remedied. So it was really great to watch them take those handcuffs off. That made me really happy. The first two people to give him a hug was his mother, Vera, and Carol. They hugged, and they were both crying, and it was just really remarkable. It was a bittersweet moment. Carol Dodge was relieved that Chris had been released, But she was also concerned. Would the Idaho Falls police and prosecutors now give up the search for Andy's killer? There was no way she was going to allow that to happen. Usually in these cases, the DNA profile eventually gets matched, and it's the identification of the real killer that leads to full exoneration. But this wasn't happening for Chris Tapp. The single DNA profile left at the scene was run again and again through the National DNA Database, but it kept coming up dry. You see, profiles get added to that database only when people are arrested or charged with certain serious offenses. Clearly, whoever had done this to Angie Dodge hadn't reoffended, at least not at the level of severity that would lead to his DNA being included in that database. But that didn't stop Carol. She wasn't going to rest until that mystery DNA was identified. And she wanted Idaho police to try a brand new DNA identification technique called genetic genealogy. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Genetic genealogy is basically the use of DNA evidence in combination with traditional genealogical information. If you can't identify whose DNA it is, at least you might be able to identify that person's family tree. This technique was recently used to solve the Golden State Killer case in California. Now, in 2014, police had already given genetic genealogy a shot in the case of Angie Dodge. Using the DNA profile from the crime scene and an Ancestry.com database, they obtained a partial DNA match to a man in New Orleans, a possible suspect, a man named Michael Usry. They became more and more interested in Usry after it turned out that he was a filmmaker with a flair for the macabre. He had recently created a short film called Murderabilia about the market for collectibles related to real-life killings. And when he told the officers that he had been to Idaho at some point around the time of this crime on a camping trip, their expectations soared even higher. Police interviewed Michael Usry and got his full DNA profile, but it didn't match the DNA left at the scene. Film noir or not, he wasn't guilty. As for everyone else in the Usry family tree, police found themselves out of leads again. Every other male in the family was ruled out. Too young, too old, never been to Idaho Falls. But again, Carol Dodge didn't give up. In 2018, she found the genetic genealogist who'd cracked open the Golden State Killer case, Dr. C.C. Moore. Carol pressured police to hire Dr. Moore, and they did. Dr. Moore started looking through obituaries to fill in the blanks in the Usry family tree. And she was able to take samples that were found at the crime scene and compare them to a genealogical DNA database that led her to a family tree of individuals who could be related to the person who left the DNA at the crime scene. And only with the help of an obscure record that they found in a library, they were finally able to track down Brian Drips. Brian Drips is a biological Usri who had been adopted by his stepfather and grew up as part of another family. By the time his name came up in late 2018, Drips was 53 years old. And it turned out he used to live in Idaho Falls, right across the street from Angie Dodge. Police had actually interviewed him during a canvas of the crime scene and the area around where the crime occurred. They interviewed the true killer within days of Angie Dodge's murder. Brian Drips had left Idaho Falls shortly after the killing. He was now living in a different part of Idaho, and he wasn't in the national DNA database. He was the perfect suspect. Now all police needed was a complete DNA match. They started tailing Drips 
and they found their opportunity when he threw a cigarette butt out his car window. Police recovered that cigarette butt, and there it was, a DNA match to the evidence left in Angie's bedroom all those years ago. After more than two decades, Brian Drips was arrested for the rape and murder of Angie Dodge. And Chris Tapp was finally exonerated in an Idaho courtroom on July 17, 2019. Since then, Chris Tapp and Carol Dodge have become close. They've even appeared on television together to tell their intertwined stories of injustice. For his part, Brian Drips is currently incarcerated in Idaho Falls, where he's awaiting trial on first-degree murder and rape charges. He's entered a plea of not guilty. Fighting for justice can be a long, slow crawl. Carol and Chris know this better than anyone. Assuming Brian Drips is eventually convicted, she will have not only freed an innocent man, but driven the effort to catch the guilty one. She's been the driving force behind this whole thing, both the exoneration of Chris Tapp and the apprehension of Brian Drips. Slowly but surely over many years, she was able to get the Idaho Falls Police out of the Chris Tapp box. She got them to see the truth. Carol? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Today, Steve, I'm really sad. I was just sitting here thinking what the cost of justice is, all the things that I sacrificed because of people that could have done the right thing at the very beginning. It's so important that you say that. People really don't know that there's been a real price to your 23-year search for the troops. I never allowed any of the authorities to tell me no. Every time they told me that something couldn't be done, I would just say, well, watch me. There are things that your work has done, which you probably can't even see or appreciate yet, that I hope gives you some comfort. It does. I love you. I love you, too. And thank you. Hello? Hey, Chris. It's Laura. How are you? Good, Laura. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So tell me about what you've been doing with your time as a free man. I understand you've got a family. I do. I have an amazing family. Let's see, I got out in March of 2017. I met my wife two months later in May. And well, we're in romance. And we were married in July. I have three beautiful stepchildren or children of my own, as I could love to call them. I have a almost 21-year-old. I got a 16-year-old. And I've got a 15-year-old boy. Tell me a little bit about what it's meant to you to have Carol Dodge fight for you. Oh, Carol Dodge, I love her dearly. (laughs) More than most people will ever know, the actual true killer of her daughter would be caught, and I wouldn't have the exoneration if it wasn't for Carol Dodge. Chris, it was a great honor for me to play even a small role in your exoneration, and being in that courtroom when you were finally cleared was one of the highlights of my career. You've been given a gift, and I hope you take this gift, and I know you will, and that you live a life that is honorable and worthy. To Chris Tapp and Carol Dodge, two of our heroes, thanks for letting us share your story.
And that's the story of Chris Tapp. Next week, join us as we bring you to Brooklyn, New York, where David McCallum and Willie Stuckey were wrongfully convicted of murder. Their decades-long fight for justice drew support from one of the most famous exonerees of all time, professional boxer Reuben Hurricane Carter. Till then, thanks for listening to Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions. Wrongful Conviction, False Confessions is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. Special thanks to our executive producer, Jason Flom, and the team at Signal Company Number 1, executive producer Kevin Wardus, senior producer Ann Pope, and additional production and editing by Connor Hall. Special thanks to Jaji Hammer for additional script editing and for wrangling and writing like a madwoman. Special thanks to Mike Heavey for organizing and editing Chris Tapp's interrogation videos. Our music was composed by Jay Ralph. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Laura Nyrider. And you can follow me on Twitter at S. Drizzen. For more information on the show, visit wrongfulconvictionpodcast.com. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram at wrongfulconviction, on Facebook at wrongfulconvictionpodcast, and on Twitter at wrongconviction. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.